Second Peter chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 1. Reads like this, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying that the Lord, or denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, how, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. I want to use that last verse, verse number 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. I want to title our message this morning, The Lord Knows How. The Lord Knows How. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be with those of like precious faith. And I stand upon the promise that where two or three of us are gathered in your name, you, Lord, are here in our midst. I pray that you will quicken, anoint the word of God. God, as we preach it, also as we hear it, that it would have its free course in our heart and in our life. It's clay in the hands of a potter, mold us, conform us, shape us to your own image. That's your predetermined will, Lord, so that everyone who would believe upon Christ to be conformed to him. I want to leave here more like Jesus than what I came in. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, and, God, that whatever the need might be in this house today, you're able to meet them all. You're able to do it through Christ. I pray you'll do it, that he'll be lifted up. He'll be honored and glorified. Meet us in this altar, we pray in Jesus' name. If you love the Lord, would you say amen? amen? The Lord knows how, the Scripture said, to deliver the godly out of temptation. Amen. The Lord knows how. I'm glad the Lord knows how because many times I don't. I haven't got it all figured out just yet, but he knows the end from the beginning. If you read this text and try to wrap your mind around it and get a hold of it, the Apostle Peter is uh, speaking to saints, no doubt, that are being persecuted. And he is reminding them that the Lord has always known how to deliver his people out of whatever situation that they might be in. And in doing so, in those first eight verses, he gives two illustrations to the people of God, how that God 
knew how to save, how that, how that the Lord knew how to deliver. The first example he gave was Noah. And he said in that old world, if you will, he was talking about before the flood, how that God saved the eighth person from Adam, and that was Noah. How did he do it? He don't go into all the details, but he reminded them that God knew how to save even if it had never been done before. Even if it had never been done like that before, the Lord knows how. And he still knows how this morning. In that, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, uh, it's in the sixth chapter where we read about the flood, but just prior to the flood, Hebrews tells us that God spoke to Noah and warned him to build an ark under the saving of his house and that Noah responded with fear and faith caused him to rise up and build an ark to save not only his house but also in doing so to condemn the whole world through God's judgment. Nowhere had it ever been recorded in the Bible prior to that text Nowhere do you read anywhere in the Bible about a boat ever being built. Especially a boat this big and no doubt being built on dry ground. Just in the middle of somewhere, right in the middle of the land, he got mocked, he got laughed at, he got called crazy, told he was a fool or a foolish man. God tells him that he's going to destroy every living thing on the earth with a flood of water. It's going to rain. The fountains of the deep are going to, you know, uh, be broken up. Not only is water going to fall out of the sky, it's going to come up out of the ground, meaning rain, artesian wells, uh, and that earth was going to fill up over the highest mountain within 40 days. Uh just a tremendous amount of flooding. Nowhere in the Bible will you read prior to that that it had ever rained before. We read uh, in the opening chapters of Genesis where God watered everything on dry ground with a dew that he sent in the morning. And that's how everything was watered. But on this occasion, it was going to rain. And in order to be saved, he would need to build a ark. A boat. I'm sure if you would have told Noah that God's going to judge sin, that he would have said, I believe it. If you would have told Noah in judgment, God will destroy every sinner. I believe Noah would have said, I believe that too. When you went on to tell him that in his judgment, the whole earth's going to fall under judgment. And every living thing upon the earth that breathes is going to die. But God says that you and your house are going to be saved. He would have said, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. And then you would have asked him, How's he going to do it, Noah? Are you that good of a swimmer? Can you tread water for that long? Is there going to be a certain spot on the earth that's going to remain dry and you're going to be allowed to stay in that spot? Is he going to, you know, place you in a bubble that the water can't break through? And Noah would have had to have said, I don't know. 
I don't know how he's going to save me, but I know the Lord can save. If you'd have told him, you're going to build a boat, he would have said, what's that? What's a boat? Well, it's a device that you can set in or dwell in that floats on top of the water. One had never been built before in Scripture. And certainly if you'd have told Noah, he's going to save you by a boat, Noah would have said, well, I guess the Lord knows how to build a boat. He sure does, Noah, because he's going to give you the blueprint and he's going to tell you how to do it. Amen. You you might be sitting here saying this morning, I don't know how. The Lord asks or requires you to do something. And it's going to be to the salvation or for the salvation of others. But I don't know how. The Lord does. The Lord knows how. And if you'll allow the Lord to put His Spirit in you, He'll do it through you. That's the only way that I can know that Noah would know how to build a boat. He told him how wide it needed to be, how long it needed to be, how tall it needed to be. He told him to pitch it on the outside and the inside with pitch. If you study that out, pitch was a type of tar. He didn't want the water to seep through the cracks of the boards. Pitch it within and out. That's kind of how the Lord saves us, isn't it? Christ is a type of the ark. has pitched us within and without by the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's sin. Sin won't be a destruction unto us. The devil can't cross the bloodline. Amen. How did the Lord save you? I can't rightly describe how. I just know he did. Amen. He forgave me. He washed me. He cleansed me. He took my sin and cast it away from me as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered against me anymore. He crucified my old carnal man. And a new man arose in his place just as Christ was crucified. And we're crucified with him. Just as he rose again. Amen. We're risen with him in the newness of life. And now for a man to be saved, it means he's born again. Nicodemus said, born again. How can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb? If a man has to be born again, how in the world can he do that? And the Lord says, uh, I know how. That that's born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He didn't do it in a way that you would have figured. He didn't do it in a way that you could have imagined. Not in a way that you could have thought of or dreamed. God sent His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. He died upon the cross. Not for his sin, but for my sin. He buried my sin in the tomb. Rose again on the third day. Ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And the Father poured out his Spirit upon us. Amen. That's how he did it. Amen. And here I stand today. Have you ever tried to just sit and figure out? Everything that God had to do to get you right here where you are today. Wow. 
everything that God had to make happen in order for you to be sitting on the pews of this church today. Wow. If you were to ask somebody 10 years ago, how in the world is God going to save them? They would have said, I don't have a clue. But if they love the Lord and know He's the Savior, they'd say, but the Lord knows how. The Lord knows how to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together. The Lord knows how to make everything work together for His good. Or or for our good according to His purpose, the Bible said. So Noah would have said, I don't know how He's going to do it, but I know the Lord knows how to save. Whether He saves this way or that way, the Lord knows how to save. The Lord, he gives another example. The Lord saved Lot from sure and sudden destruction while dwelling in Sodom. Never before will you ever read in the Bible prior to Lot's story where God had ever interfered in the affairs of man by an angel. It had never happened before. Never before had God sent an angel to deliver a man. This was going to be the first occasion he did so. But Lord, how are you going to get Lot out of there before you destroy those cities? His answer was, angels. I'm going to send angels. Abraham and Lot would have said, you're going to send what? You're going to sin. Who? You're going to do it. How? And the Lord would have just had to say, well, never mind. You've never seen one before. You don't know what an angel is, nor what an angel does, but take my word for it. You're going to see one. You're going to meet one. And they're going to deliver Lot out of the city. You ever... My wife asks me all the time, where are you going to preach at? And I'll tell her. She'll say, where's that? I'll say, you've never been there before. I'll tell her the pastor's name. Who's that? You don't know him. You've never met him before. <laughs> That's what Lot will say. You're going to send what? You're going to send who? You're going to do it how? Well, you, it's never been done before. But trust me, Lot, I know how to save. I'm just trying to tell you, you can't figure God out. You can't put God in your little box. You can't tell God how to do it. And God can do it uh, without you knowing how He's going to do it. Hey, we're human, we're flesh, and you know how we work? You know how we're made? When a problem arises... We start analyzing in our mind. We start trying to figure out how we are going to work this out. How? Sometimes God don't care if you know how. Here's a good one. When? When are you going to do it, Lord? A lot of times, he don't care if you know when he does it. Where? Where is this going to happen? 
Most times he don't care if you know where. He told Abraham, I want you to get out of the land of Ur the Chaldeans. And I'm going to show you a good land. A land that I'll give unto you and to all your children after you. And the Bible said that he sojourned in the land of promise as a stranger. He didn't know where. <laughs> God just said, get up and start walking. Get up and go. So sometimes it doesn't matter if we know how, when, where. You want to know what God does want you to know? Who? Who? You ever seen somebody that didn't have near the qualifications that you did when you applied for a job? But you got the job and not them. Maybe you had somebody working for you on the inside that was helping put in a good word for you or somebody, you know, in management waiting for a position to come open. And when we have an opening, I'll get you in. When we have an opening, I will hire you. The, the old saying, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. Well, that's the case for a Christian. It's not what we know. It's who we know. But what is he going to do? I don't know. When is he going to do it? I don't know. Where will it happen at? I don't know. Why are you being made to go through this? I don't know. I can't tell you the who. I can't tell you the what, the where, the when, or the why. But I can tell you who. I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that. That I have committed unto him against that day. I don't know all the, the, the answers to the questions. But I do know this answer. I know who. Jesus. And I know he knows how to save. I know he knows how to deliver. I know he knows how to heal. I know he knows how to send revival. I know he knows how to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Why did God send those angels? In answer to Abraham's prayer. That's why. Think about this. Abraham is praying. Lot's in a fix. Now Lot hasn't given himself over to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot has come to the place where he's okay with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot has come to the place to where he's acceptant of it, tolerant of it, okay with it. And that's a very dangerous place to be. To where sin doesn't bother you. You're okay to look at it. You're okay to listen to it. You're okay to hang out around it. Keep company with it. That it doesn't grieve your heart. Well, this sin was so grievous that God came down and said, I'm going to go and see for myself whether the things that have come up, the stench that has come up, whether it's really the case or not. And if it is, I'm going to destroy those cities. In judgment, very swiftly. I'm going to wipe those cities out. Why would he tell Abraham that? Why would he mention that to Abraham? Why not just go and wipe those cities out? Because Abraham had been praying. 
he had been praying for months because the, his herds and his possessions were so great and his nephew Lot, who, whom he had raised as if he were his own son when his brother had died early or a premature death, Lot, Abraham's nephew, Abraham took him on to raise and being with Abraham, who was blessed by God, Lot was blessed. Lot had been taught the ways of God. No doubt he had been preached to, instructed in the blessings of the Lord. If you'll live for God, God will reward you. God will bless you. And he was a blessed man. And their possessions and their herds were so great, the land they were trying to live on couldn't hold them. And their herdsmen got to fighting over grazing land. And Abraham said, only one solution, the land's not big enough to hold us both. He said, but I'm, I'm just going to give you preference to wherever you want, whatever you want, you've got first dibs. Amen. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south. If you go to the east, I'll go to the west. If you want this piece of land, I'll take what's left over. I'll give you first choice. And Lot looked around and he said, I choose the well-watered plain." Of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, well, look, look, I know I told you, you can pick anywhere you want, but not there. Well, why not? Though those plains are well watered, good grazing land over by those cities. He said, the reason why not is you don't want to get cl- too close to sin. You don't want to live too close to the world. Woo. Amen. Y'all are quiet this morning. You don't want to live too close to the world. You want to stay as far away from them, those people, as you can. He said, why is that? Those men are sinners exceedingly wicked before the Lord. Lot says, I can handle it. I can handle it. It won't have any effect on me. He went out wealthy. He went out with servants, herds, herds, cattle, sheep. I mean, he had much possession, so much the land couldn't hold them all. And when God brought Lot out, what did he come out with? Nothing. You want to know why? Because he met a thief there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Satan, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy And now Lot is on the brink of being lost himself. For the Bible said he vexed his righteous soul with the filthy, the Bible calls it filthy, with the filthy conversation, that word means lifestyle, with the filthy lifestyle of the wicked. Listen, folk, if you involve yourself in the filthy lifestyle of the wicked, it's going to rub off. It's going to have an effect on you. You're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your peace. You're going to lose your victory. You used to clap and shout and worship. And you're just going to sit settled and subdued with your arms folded or your hands in your pocket. What's going on? No victory. Have it been in the company of the presence of the Lord. We've been surrounding ourselves with filth, with sin. And it has an effect on us. 
Abraham's been praying about that ever since the day they parted. Oh, God. Oh, God, don't let Lot die with those men. Oh, Lord, you can take everything he's got, but please don't let his soul be destroyed by dwelling with those men. Oh, Lord, whatever you've got to do, I pray you'll do whatever you've got to do to save that boy. Oh, God, it would grieve my heart to know that he died in sin and went to hell. Oh, Lord, would you please save my nephew that I love like an only son. Please save Lot. And the Lord comes by and said, going to go destroy them cities. You're going to do what? I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah, stench of their sins, foul. If it is what I think it is, what I know it is, I'm going to destroy those cities. He said, uh, can I ask you something real quick, Lord, before you go? This is why God told Abraham what he's going to do. Because he knew Abraham would pray. How does God save? We know the Lord knows how to save. How does God save? Or rather, why does God save? Prayer. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you want God to save, you've got to ask Him to. You've got to pray. God just didn't talk to Abraham on this occasion because He didn't have anything better to do. I think God come and answer to Abraham's prayer. Brother Clendenin said, God won't talk to you during halftime. You gotta make time. He don't talk to you at half time. You gotta make time for God. If you don't pray, God is not going to move. But if you will pray, God will move. Why is God talking to Abraham? Amen. Cause he's always talked to Abraham. Cause Abraham's made himself available as a man of prayer. Abraham's praying one day and God said, while we're talking, just want to let you know I'm going to destroy those cities. Well, Lord, before you go, I want to ask you, when you go to those cities, if you find 50 righteous people in the city, would you spare the city for those 50? He said, if I were to find 50 righteous people there, I'd spare the whole city for those 50. You know, that struck me like a dagger in my heart. God said, if I could have found a church running 50 people that live right and were people of prayer. I could have found a church running 50. Sodom would still be there today. If I could have found a church running 50 people, Gomorrah would still be a thriving city today. Somebody told me that we don't need the church. All we need is God. Listen, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And where two or three are gathered together in his name, he said, that's where I am. I'm in their midst. He's the head, but the church is the body, and he don't do anything outside of the church. He loves the church, and the church is is important to God. He, he In giving a parable of the church, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who when he finds a a, a, a a treasure, when he finds a treasure that he digs a hole and hides the treasure in the field and then he buys the whole field, he purchases the field. 
so that legally everything that's in the field now belongs to him. I'd never seen that before. Brother Clendenin in his preaching said, the hidden treasure of the world is the church. It's the blood bought. It's the redeemed of the Lord. The world can't see the hidden treasure of the church. The world thinks the church is foolishness. The world thinks the preaching of the cross is foolishness. The world thinks the fact that there's a God and He dwells in heaven and He's going to rapture a church that where He is, they, they will be also. That's foolishness. That hidden treasure is the church. And He said He hides that church in a field. The field is the earth or the world. And the church is left to dwell in the earth, surrounded by this world. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It seems like the iniquity of the world has covered up and hidden the righteousness of the church. You don't hear anything about the righteousness, anything about the good, anything about the lovely. Just listen to the news. They're not going to report one good thing. Somebody gets saved, you'll never hear about it. Not by the news. Somebody gets healed, they're not going to be talking about that tomorrow on the job site. Somebody gets baptized in the Holy Ghost or we had a Holy Ghost service. Uh, They are not going to want to discuss that. Uh, Amen at the next family get together. Everything's been covered up and cloaked in sin, iniquity, and worldliness. He said, I've got a treasure. My church is going to be hidden in the field. But that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And in dying for the world, He purchased His church. And He's coming back for the church. Make no mistake about it. He died for everybody. He died to buy the whole field. But he died with the church in mind. With a bride in mind. Hallelujah. Out of that world, I'm going to redeem for myself a bride. And I'm coming back for her. That's the mystery of the church. And when that church gathers together, when that church prays, things happen. He said, man, if there had been a church of 50 people, I'd have spared the whole city. And while the devil tries to make us feel insignificant, however few we might be, whether it be a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, uh, the church matters. The church is important. If this church would have been uh, in Sodom, in Abraham's day, Sodom would still be there. Think about that. And then he said, it might be, it might be Wednesday night, Lord. If it's on a Wednesday night, there might not be but 40 there. Would you spare it for 40? There might not be but 30 or 20 there. Would you spare it for 30 or 20? He said, I would. Peradventure, he said, this will be the last time I ask you. Peradventure, you only find 10. Would you spare it for 10? He said, I would. He couldn't even find 10 people that were praying in Sodom. I don't even know if Lot was praying. How in the world are you going to do it? He said, I'm going to send an angel. Why did he send an angel? Because Abraham prayed. I want to tell you, if you'll pray, 
God will save your family. You say, how's he going to do it, Brother Eddie? I don't know. But I'm just telling you, he knows how. He knows who to send. He knows when to send them. He knows what to do. He knows where it's going to happen. He knows how to save. Amen. Listen, how will the Lord possibly save Daniel from a den of hungry and ferocious lions? Again, God said, I'll send an angel. They shoved Daniel in that pit with those lions who were no doubt hungry, wild, and ferocious. No doubt they had an appetite for human flesh. That's where they threw people to have them killed. It's going to happen to Daniel just like it's always happened to other men. They're about to shove Daniel in that lion's den. You say, what was Daniel thinking? He's a man. He's not a superhero out of a comic book. There's no temptation taking you but such as is common unto man. And yes, he had faith. You'd ask him, Daniel, can God save you out of the lion's den? He would have said, I don't see why not. He saved Noah. I don't see why not he saved Lot. I don't see why not uh, he saved a lot of other men before me. So yes, I believe God can save. Does it take away the terror of the, of the trial? Does it take away the terror uh, of whatever is uh, trying or testing his faith? If it didn't try him and test him, it wouldn't be a trial. Sure he felt the terror of it. But at the terror of it, you're either going to stop praying or you're going to be eaten by lions. He said, I'd rather be eaten by lions than stop praying. I'd rather be eaten by lions than give up on God. I'd rather be thrown in a lion's pit than to, than to toss heaven or the Word of God or the Holy Ghost out the window. So do whatever you want to do to me, but I'm not going to deny my God. Amen. You can't tell me he didn't fear. You can't tell me there wasn't a nervous feeling. Amen. Somebody said, Brother Eddie, how would you feel if they were about to put their foot in the middle of your back, kick you in a den of lions? I know in our mind, in our superhero mind, We'd like to think that we'd just bless God. I'll walk right off in there. I know my God, you see. When I, in Sudan, I don't know how I would have acted. Not Sudan, but in the Congo. I didn't know how I was going to act if somebody was shooting an AK-47 at me trying to kill me because I love Jesus and they don't. How would you act? Well, I can tell you. Some in the group acted like any normal person would have acted. They broke down and cried and began to say, My my children, my children, I'm never going to see my children again. Others had saucers for eyes. Others were ducking, you know, hiding down behind the bed. But the thought just hit me. I'm going to die. What do you want to do? If you know you're about to die, What would you like to do? What would you like your last act upon earth to be? It was the same as what your answer would be. Brother Kevin, if I'm going to die, I want to die praying. 
If I know that in the next few minutes or the next few seconds, your time's up, Sullivan, you got 60 seconds. Go for it. I'm not going to get on the phone start calling up people. I'm not going to pull the phone out and start scrolling over Facebook and put a last post on there. I'm not going to put one more picture on Instagram. I'm not going to snap one more chat. All of that's out the window. I'm going to drop to my knees and I'm going to pray. The last thing I'm going to do is pray. And so that's what came to my mind. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And I can't say that I was sorrowful that I would never see my wife and kids, though I was sorrowful. That wasn't, that wasn't flooding my mind. What was flooding my mind was, if I'm going to die, I don't know if I have enough courage to die. I don't know. I don't want to die in fear, gripped by fear. Fear have torment. I want to die with peace. I want to die praying. The only real peace that I have, dear Lord, is in you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. My God, in his presence there's fullness of joy. So I just quick, quick, get up, get up. Come here, let's get in a circle, let's join hands. We're going to pray. I said, we're going to pray. If we die, we're going to die praying. And I told him, start praying right now. Call upon the Lord. Join hands and pray. It didn't take but just a second. We were all praying in the Holy Ghost. I mean, when your life depends on it, uh, you get down to business. Uh, you'll pray, you'll pray fast, you'll pray hard, and you'll pray through. And we did all the above. And when we got through praying, I don't know how long we prayed. It seemed like a long time, but it could have only been a few minutes. But when we got through praying, a sudden peace came over me and I said, listen. All the tumult was way down the road, maybe five, six hundred yards. I could hear machine guns. I could hear grenades going off. And what we didn't know is the UN had came to our rescue. God's going to save you, Sullivan in the Congo. How, how's he going to do it? That would have been my last guess. The UN peacekeeping troops are going to swoop in and save you. I've never liked the UN. I've never cared anything about the U.N. or the U.S. being a part of the U.N. But on that day, God said, I'll use the least likely source that you can imagine in your mind. And I will deliver you, for I know how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Hallelujah! God knows how! How's He going to do it, Brother Eddie? I don't know. But he does. You'd ask Daniel. He might have told you a thousand different ways that God might have said. I don't know that he would have come up with an angel. Going back to that story I told him at the RV park, Brother Eddie, what would you have done? If they were going to kick you off in the lion's pit, I said, I'd have put my hand over my chest, threw my hand up and said, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. 
not Daniel. They kicked him in there. When he got to the bottom of the pit, there's an angel in there waiting on him. He had taken the wild nature out of those beasts. And they weren't even hungry. King opened that cover off the pit the next morning and said, Oh, Daniel, is the God whom you serve continually, was he able to deliver you out of the mouth of the lion? Old Daniel stepped over out of the shadows. He said, long live the king. For the God who I serve did send his angel and he delivered me. He shut the mouth of the lion. Woo, hallelujah to God. The king rejoiced and made a law and said, everybody's going to worship Daniel's God. For there's no God that can deliver from from the mouth of the lion but Daniel's God. And he said, take them boys that made that law to start with and throw them in the pit. Guess what? There wasn't no angel in there when they went in there. He knows how to deliver the godly out of every temptation and to reserve judgment for the unjust under punishment. He said, those lions ain't hungry right now because you in here, as soon as they take you out of here, I reserve their hunger for those other three boys over there. That's when they're going to get ready to eat. Listen, you can't figure God out. Come help me, Kirsten. I'm getting ready to close. You can't figure God out. Neither can I. He told Isaiah why you can't figure him out. In Isaiah 55 and verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For Listen to this. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. He said, just like water comes down, And don't go back up into the sky again like you've seen it go down. But it remains in the earth and waters the earth so that the earth will bring forth. He said, my word is going to come forth. My word is going to rain down. And it's going to saturate the heart and life of man. That his spirit would bud and blossom and bring forth. He said, so shall my word that goeth. Uh, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. Somebody said, Oh God, Oh God. Help me, Lord. I'm hemmed in by these mountains. I'm down in the valley staring at these mountains. 
Oh, God said, you'll speak to these mountains and say, be plucked up and be removed to yonder place. And it will do so if you've got faith as the size of a grain of mustard seed but on this occasion maybe it's not going to pluck up brother Daniel maybe it's not going to go yonder place Uh, amen God said you can't figure me out Uh, he said but my word when it goes forth uh, it's not going to come back void if the mountain don't move uh, then I'll move you where the mountain's still standing there, Brother Joey, he said the mountains will bring, uh, will break forth into singing. There'll be joy in that mountain experience for you. There'll be victory in that mountain experience for you. Something miraculous is going to take place uh, when you're up against that mountain. The mountain will break forth uh, into singing. Glory to God. And listen to this. Uh, He said, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Somebody said, well, that's just foolish. Mountains don't sing and trees don't clap. They do if God says they do. Hallelujah. I said they do if God says they do. Donkeys don't talk either. But they did one day when Balaam was doing the wrong thing. And smiting that donkey because he seen an angel there with his sword, sword drawn. And the angel said, if he had took three more steps, I was going to kill you. Graveyard dead. That donkey's the reason you're alive. He smote that donkey three times and the donkey turned around. And instead of braying, you know what a bray sound. I started to do it, but you'd laugh at me. You know what a bray sounds like. Turned around. No Balaam would have thought that donkey would have brayed, but he didn't, Brother Daniel. He turned around and said, Hey, bud, quit hitting me. Don't you see that angel with the sword drawn? I'm trying to keep you alive. Stop it. Amen. Donkeys don't talk. Well, they did that day. Why? Because the Lord knew how to save that man. And if the Lord tells the mountain to sing so that you can be delivered from the fear of it, from the dread of it, uh, from the sorrow of it, and if He tells the trees of the forest uh, to clap, uh, then they'll start clapping, honey, to encourage you that you're going to make it. The Lord knows how to say. Listen, God doesn't always figure things with our math. So what are you talking about? Our math, two plus two equals four. You make and come out with some kind of equation, algebraic equation, like Einstein did. God doesn't work like that. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 30. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? Except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. One chases 1,000. Two should chase. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's not adding up here. Something is not right. 
if one, I mean just simple mathematical sense tells me if one chases a thousand, two should chase two thousand. God said, nope. That ain't the way I work. You can't figure me out. You can't put me into an equation. You can't make a blueprint. You can't draw a map. You can't come up with a form or a program and says, this is how to have revival. This is how to build a church. This is how to do ministry. This is how to get God to work for you. So you don't ever have to buy another book with the seven secrets to how blah, blah, blah. They don't know how. And if they ever figured out how, God would change the equation. Because God don't want you to learn how. God wants you to have faith. God wants you to look to Him. God wants you to call upon Him. God wants you to depend upon Him. If you could learn an equation, you would do it without Him. If you could learn how to build a church, uh, you'd build one without prayer. If you could learn how to reach the lost or what would make men follow you, you'd never pray. You'd just do what you learned how to do. So God said, one will chase a thousand. Here's my math. Two will chase ten thousand. What? That's exactly right. Answer to the equation is the Lord knows how. The Lord is the answer to the equation. The Lord is the answer to your problem. The Lord is the answer to your dilemma. The Lord is the healer to your sickness and to your disease. The Lord is a counselor in your marriage. The Lord is a way maker in your trial. We need to be brought to the place that Ezekiel's faith was brought to in Ezekiel 37 and 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. Caused me to pass by them round about and behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? This is the kind of faith that I want to have. Lord! Thou knowest. What a good answer. He didn't know the answer, Brother Kevin. Son of man, can these bones get up? Can bone come to bone? Can sinew and flesh cover those bones? Can breath enter back in those bones? And can those bones uh, come alive? Can I resurrect those bones unto living beings again? Lord... One thing I've learned is that you know how. Lord, thou knowest. I don't know, but you know. We need the kind of faith Jonathan had. First Samuel 14 and 6, Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Man, if we had more people, we could do it. If I just had some more people to get on board with me, we could see it done. If some more people would just find it in their heart to give or to work or to labor, we could get it done. 
the Lord. If there's no restraint with the Lord to save by many or by few, why would you limit God? God said, that's backwards from the way I told Gideon. Gideon had 33,000. And he said, you've got too many people. I don't need but about 300. And all I need them to do is sing a song. I'll fight the battle. If I had the voice, I'd shout to the high heavens right now. I believe Jonathan knew God's promise. That one could chase a thousand and two could put ten thousand to flight. He said, hey son, God did it with Samson. He was only one man. And God gave him a jawbone. And he killed a thousand. Let's go over to that garrison of uncircumcised Philistines. I got me and you. That's good for ten thousand. It don't bother God to say by many or by few. He had faith. And God rewarded his faith. Closing with this. John 6 and 5, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? But listen to this. This he said to prove him, try him, test him. For he himself knew what he would do. He just wanted Philip to know, I can do whatever I want to do. He said, Whence or where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip answered, Beside the women and children. If the 5,000 men were all married and had their wives there, then that made 10,000. And if all the husbands and wives had at least one child there, that made 15,000. Anywhere from five to 15 plus thousand people. He said, I don't have enough. It don't add up. It don't calculate. It can't be done. The Lord said, Yes, it can. Just don't add up by my, my by my calculations, Lord. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a little boy here, there's a lad here, which have five barley loaves and two small fishes. But again, Lord, what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make everybody sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. 
When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. You know what he did, Brother Homer? He made something out of nothing. There was only two fish and five loaves there. He thanked God for it. He began to break it. And where there wasn't enough fish, there was simply enough. Where there wasn't enough bread, there was now enough to feed five to fifteen upwards thousand people. My God. You know what that I thought of when they were out there and Peter said, We fished all night and caught nothing. You know what that probably meant? There ain't no fish in these waters. I mean, I've been casting a net. I've been trolling with a net. James got his boat. He's trolled with his net. John's got his boat. He's trolled with his net. I mean, you can shrimp all night and run that net back and forth, up and down, crossways, sideways, uh, long ways. But if the shrimp ain't there, you're going to get the same thing. Nothing. And Jesus said, what I want you to do is launch out into the deep. And I want you to cast your net on the right side of the ship. And where there's been nothing, I'll put fish there. I'll put fish there. My word won't return void. Make the people sit down. Give me what little bits you got. I know how to save. I know how to deliver. I know how to heal. I know how to fill people with the Holy Ghost. I know how to send revival. Man's born blind. Blind from his mother's womb. Who sinned? Him or his parents? Nobody. I'm going to heal him. How are you going to do it? I'm going to spit. And I'm going to rub mud, dirt in his eye. Tell him go wash it out and he'll come again and see it. How'd you like that? Lord, how about just touching me on the forehead? Lord, how about just speaking the word? Lord said, that ain't how I'm going to do it. I mean, you're going to get spit in your eye. But I know how. I'm just telling you. Some of you are sitting out there and for months, for months you've been trying to calculate in your mind. You've been trying to figure it out. It just don't add up. Lord, I just don't see how it's going to work. Lord, I just don't see how you're going to be able to do it. I'm just not seeing what I need to see. I just don't have what I need to get this done. And the Lord said, you need to quit trying to figure it out in your mind because my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are beyond yours. I'm God. You just need to know I can do it any way I want to do it. Whenever I get ready, however I see fit, I can do it. I will do it. That's the kind of faith you need to have this morning. Stand all over the house with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word.